Good morning. It's a blessing today. Our church effectively doubles. We had a first service crowd of about this size, maybe even, this may even be a little bit more. Uh, three people, three to four people, I don't recall, gave their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a blessing to see what the Lord wants to do. Yeah, it's a good thing. Now, this morning, I, first service, I'm, I'm giving a little bit of a different study here, second service, but in, in first service, we, we saw with the Greeks in John chapter 12 said, sirs, we wish to see Jesus. The Jews of the day, they wanted to see a sign, but these men had heard of the great things that had happened in the past. They had understood that this man has done things as nobody else has, and they desired to see Jesus. They, they, they wanted to have that time of fellowship they wanted to have that one-on-one. So we looked at Isaiah chapter 53, because, well, if you want to see Jesus, there's a perfect picture of the, of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and what occurred upon the cross. Well, the second service, we're going to listen to Jesus. I, I pointed out that Time Magazine, a few years ago, did a, a survey. And the survey was based upon, if you were able to, any figure in all of history, if you were able to sit down and have lunch with any figure in history, who would it be? And there was over a thousand responses, or a thousand different people. Number one was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for Jesus Christ to be number one in that survey, that would have to be quite a few people. And, and, and really, in my heart, what really that says is there had to be quite a few unbelievers that responded that way. Now, why would an unbeliever respond that way? I mean, why would a believer really care about Christ? Why would an unbeliever care what Jesus really has to say? Well, the only reason is, is because they know what he has to say. They know who he is, and they understand that this is true. This is true. But they, they want to hear for themselves, because, yeah, you can see Jesus. Well, we can't. They, they saw Jesus so long ago. Matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 53, we saw in his appearance there was nothing that he would be desired But as far as hearing Christ, see, it's been the voice of Christ that has reverberated throughout the ages, and it continues to do so in the hearts of men and women, and we all come to a conclusion, we've got to do something with Christ. Now, for those of us who have received him as Lord and Savior, he's just that, he's become the Lord of our lives, and we have a future and a hope in him. For those who have yet to receive Jesus Christ, or have not submitted their lives to him as Lord and Savior, well, there's still time. There's still time, and as I closed out service, I pointed out even a situation that happened at our church today. I came a little bit early for prayer, and after prayer, one of the men of the church came to me and said, you need to come into the kitchen. There was a man who was serving there. He had come a little bit early. His wife was sick today. She didn't come with him. Most of you know Jean and Bernice. Jean's okay, but he had passed out. Matter of fact, it came upon him so quickly when he passed out, he fell against the wall and he knocked a hole in the wall with his head. And so that just tells you just how that came upon him. Now, when, when they called me, I, he was sitting in a chair. They had got him up and seated in a chair, but his, his chin was in his chest. And, and I came, and I, I got down on my knees, and I was looking at him, and I was calling him. And you come to the realization, as far as the human condition, there's not a lot, well, there's nothing I could do. Uh, you know, we're, we're, I'm kind of running in my head the first aid that I've heard about and been taught and trained. But ultimately, when it comes down, you understand that he's in the hands of the Lord. Now, I, I did pray, and he did kind of come around, and he got better. We called the paramedics. Right now, I assume he's still there. He's in Kaiser Hospital. Uh, all of his vital signs checked out. But what my point is, when that time comes, it comes at a time when you least expect it. 
Now, today was not the day, at least not yet, the day of Gene's death. Now, I'm just as sure of his salvation as I am of my own. This is a man who loves the Lord. He's in his 70s, and he's serving Jesus Christ, both he and his wife. But what if today was his day? Well, I think he's well prepared. But what I want you to consider is, what if today was your day? What if today was a Sunday that got up out of bed like any other day, but you didn't know it was going to be the last time you rose up out of your bed? What if today was the day that you said goodbye to your spouse or your children or whoever it might be, but unbeknownst to you, this was going to be the last time that you've ever said goodbye? That today's the day that maybe you opened your front door, closed it, and locked it, and maybe, just maybe, it's the last time that you'll ever do that. Last time you got in your car and started it and drove somewhere. Came to church, last day at church. But the problem is going to church doesn't do a thing for you. What have you done with Christ? Because when it does come time for your last day, and we all will have a last day, It's all about what you have done with Christ. And so what I want to look at here today is not looking at Christ, but I want to hear from Christ. Now, what do I want to hear from Christ? Well, when Jesus was here, he he was, well, to really understand the direction that I'm going, it's all about in the sequencing of events. See, last week we, we looked at Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. We saw that he came in with the rest of the sacrificial lambs. It was Passover season, and it's estimated about 200,000 lambs would be brought into the city that day, and in the midst of them all came the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. After that, we looked at that Thursday before the Good Friday. We looked at the Seder uh, the night before last, and we looked at that last meal and the things that occurred there. Then Good Friday, the day of his death, and don't get caught up, did he really die on Friday or was he die, die, did he die on Thursday and all that, it doesn't matter. But the day of his death, it was the day that all of our sins were paid for. Today is the day that we celebrate his resurrection. Resurrection, well, the reason Jesus died, the only reason that anybody dies is because of sin. And all the people that died before him died because of sin, and now Jesus died because he had the sins of the world placed upon him. But the reason that we know he was able to achieve victory because for the very first time, somebody has now come back from the dead. And the only reason that occurred is the only reason that he could achieve victory over sin is because he himself never sinned. He had placed upon himself the sins of the world. And we see the victory that he had achieved for all those who will call him Savior. Now after his resurrection, and that's the point that I want to look at today. I want to look at the period of 40 days after the Lord was resurrected, after he appeared to his disciples. We're told in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, "...to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God." It's in those 40 days that, well, if you want to have a sit-down with Christ... What did he say during those four days? We're going to look at seven things. Seven things that of what he had to say, well, the weight to what he had to say, it was lent from the cross and the resurrection. So because of the cross, because of the resurrection, what is it that the Lord had to say that we would look back upon and see how those sayings are validated by what he did? And so... The first saying of the cross is, well, it has to do when the apostles are in that upper room. 
Jesus has been crucified and he's been placed in the tomb. It's Sunday. It's the first day of the week. The Lord again has just been crucified and they're there and Jesus had told them as they will persecute me, so they will persecute you. Well, how was Jesus just persecuted? He was scourged and it was hung upon the cross. And so if you're an apostle, based upon what the Lord said, you're in an upper room and you're waiting for the knock on the door. You're waiting for those who came for Christ to come for you. And these men, these men were troubled. But then entering into the room, what did the Lord say? It's in John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse 19. Peace be to you. Peace be to you. Now, now just as surely as he's speaking to the apostles, he's speaking to us today because we live in troubled times. We live in times that we have absolutely no control over the things that are going on in the world. And we're frustrated because those who we believe have control over the things that are going on around the world, they're not really exercising control over these things. It seems like evil is reigning. It seems like evil has got a foothold in, well, really in the world situation, and it's having a field day. When we were in Israel about a year and a half ago, we were in Teldan. It's the most northern portion of Israel. And... From that point, we were on top of a a hill, and you could look all the way into Syria. And so there was this huge valley. It was the road that Paul took to Damascus. And ISIS had had a presence in southern Syria at that time, and you could hear the gunfire. You could hear the gunfire, and you could hear some bombs going off, and it it, it echoed all the way through that, that valley. And you have that presence of evil that is there. But what I see is, and using my illustration of Israel, it's like a loaded shotgun, that valley that points right at Israel. But still, Israel has been protected. Israel has been preserved. Jesus, Jesus has got a plan. He's got a plan for Israel still, even today, that's going to be worked out. He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for me. He's got a plan for Gene. He preserved his life alive today. He ain't done with them yet. He ain't done with you yet. He's not done with me. He's not done with Israel. God's got plans. God's got purposes. And so what's my point in all of that? You should have peace in the plans and the purposes of God. Because what do we have? We have a troubled heart in the plans and purposes of ISIS. We have a troubled heart in the plans and purposes of Russia. We have a a troubled heart in the plans and the purposes of the idiot in North Korea that can't even shoot off a rocket. I mean, he's under more danger for himself getting hit by a rocket than he is from us. But, you know, I I, I probably even shouldn't say that because he is a real threat. And so there's a lot of threats. But even in the middle of that, the Lord is even speaking to you right now. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's peace. Because we're told in the scriptures to be absent from the body, it's to be in Jesus' presence, to be in the presence of the Lord. And, and, And so, again, death for us, death for us is just a glorious passing from this life into the next. And I'll tell Gene, Gene, if that was your day, that we would have had a great service for you. We would have had a service, and we would have celebrated your presence into heaven. But we ought to be celebrating our presence that has been stored up for us in heaven. And that was another point. It's not so much about, are you excited about going to heaven? I mean, you should be excited about going to heaven. Don't get me wrong on this, but why are you excited about going to heaven? Now, don't, I want to go to heaven, but I want to come into the presence of Christ. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be just like the Apostle John. I pointed it out on Friday night. I want to lay there in heaven, and I'm going to push all you guys out of the way. I want to put my head upon his chest, and I want to look into his eyes. 
Because I'll tell you this, if Jesus isn't there, it's not going to be heaven. It will not be paradise apart from Christ. But Christ is amongst us even now. Now, this is not going to be heaven. It's never going to be heaven. Matter of fact, at one point, the Lord is going to destroy this world, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But still, I can experience I can experience at least the precursors of that today as I find peace in this life, in my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of the things that are going on. And so, if you are of this world, every day you see this world, it's fading away. I mean... I was born in 1956. I think that makes me about 25. I look how things were in the 60s. I look how things were in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. Okay, I'm a little older than 25. In the 90s and the 2000s and now. Now, I can remember as far as I've been able to perceive such things and understand such things, what are they always saying? Things are going to get better. We're going to be able to heal all diseases. Wars will be done away with. See, I heard these things mostly in rock and roll songs, but are they, you tell me, are things getting better? Do you remember, if you're around my age, what was the big fear? It was the communists. But then all of a sudden in the 80s, communism, the, the fear wasn't there anymore. The threat seemed to have gone away. But now, instead of the communists, what do we have? We have the terrorists, and that's a real threat. We've never had an attack on our, our soil from the communists. We've had an attack, pretty serious attacks, plural, from the terrorists. Things are not getting better. This world is fading away. But if you're not of this world, even though, well, it seems as things are spiraling out of control, as we've said so many times, they're falling into place. Read the book. I've read to the end. As a matter of fact, I've seen the past prophecies as well. And as I look at these things, I see the focus is always on Israel. Why would the focus be on Israel? I know why it's in the Middle East, because they got the oil. But Israel has no oil. What's the big deal with Israel? If you read the book, you'll understand God has placed his affections there. And that's where the focal point of God is, and that's where the focal point of humanity will always be. And so what I see is things are truly falling into place as we look at the prophecies that are contained there. And what does that do? That stirs my heart to the truthfulness of God's word. Because as I see those realities, I'll start looking at the other realities. And the biggest reality I see is is the necessity of a right relationship with Jesus Christ, but also the peace that comes along with that relationship. Secondly, John chapter 20, verse 21, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. This would be the great commission in the gospel of John. Now, he says that they would have peace. And so in our mindset, yeah, we can have peace right now. The doors are locked. But he's saying, no, you need to go outside those doors. I haven't commanded the church to hole up in here. I've commanded the church to go, to go. And and this is when you have peace. Now, pretty much I'm talking to born-again believers in this particular point, in the second saying of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're sitting there, that's where he's saying your peace is going to come about through obedience to the Lord. And so everybody here who's a born-again believer, what has God called you to do? Where has he called you to go? For some of us, it's just going to our spouse or just going to our children or maybe going to our neighbor. For others, it may be going to the other side of the world. But regardless, you're not going to find a moment of peace apart from the will of God. You may try to manufacture something, but sooner or later, it's going to fall apart. You will not have a moment of peace apart from the will of God. And so Jesus says, as my Father has sent me, so I send you. 
Well, how did the Father send the Lord? He sent him in grace. He, he sent him in love. He sent him in compassion. But he sent him with a message. And so you, you see all the talking heads of the day. Turn on the ABC News, or that's ABC, the alphabet news, uh, news shows. They're ranting and raving. Ranting and raving about what's right, what's left, and what's in the middle, and everything else. That's not how we are to be. You can't argue anybody to the kingdom of heaven. We are to go out and we are to be like Christ. We are to be gracious people. We are to have a spirit of love, getting over ourselves for the spiritual benefit of others, practicing, if you will, in the church, but taking it outside of these doors. They're not going to be receptive of it, but that's how you're able to give grace. If they were receptive of it, then there would be no necessity for grace. But there's a necessity for grace and sacrificial love. And I guarantee you, as you move forward in what God has called you to do, as you go, well, why don't we go? We're concerned about peace. We're concerned about what they're going to do or what they're going to say. But Jesus is saying, you only have perfect peace as you take this message and you go. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, so I'm going to send you. Jesus gave his life for all of humanity. Each one of those apostles, because Christ gave his life for all humanity, they were willing to give their lives. What are you willing to give for the salvation of this world? What are you willing to give for those masses who are out there? Baseball games today, if you will. Nothing wrong with a baseball game, but you just look at a stadium filled with people. I always think, what percentage of those people are saved? And then it hits me, what percentage of those people would go to eternity apart from a relationship with God if the Lord would come back right now? Time is of the essence. We've read to the end of the book. We see that these things are falling into place. How much more so should we be proactive in our Christian faith? Now, again, I'm talking to believers, but if you're an unbeliever, how much more serious is this? Again, we're told that when the Lord comes back for the church, when these end times really kick into gear, it's going to happen at a moment at the twinkling of an eye. When poor Gene fell in the kitchen... The reason he hit his head on that wall, and seriously, if you go there, and I'm not trying to be funny at all, there, there's a hole in the wall where his head hit. The reason that is, he didn't have time to put his hands up. He didn't have time to protect himself. It took him completely by surprise. And so the day of our death, very few people get to plan that. It takes us by surprise. When the Lord comes back, none of us get to plan that. It's going to take us at a time when we least expect it. Thirdly, John chapter 20, verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, how do I know that I am saved? Because God has sealed my life with his Holy Spirit. It's the guarantee that I have that I am born again and I'm going to be with him for all of eternity. What does it mean to have the Holy Spirit inside? Does it mean speaking in tongues and doing these weird things? It's nothing like that. There's an assurance that I see that my life has changed. I see the before born-again Mike, and I see the after born-again Mike, and I see that these are two different people. These people have different priorities and different concerns. And so as Christ gave me the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean that I'm not going to sin. I still do. I'm not a perfect person. But there's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He drives me to repentance. He drives me to the cross and keeps me at the cross constantly. And so he does a work within my life continuously so that even in the midst of all that's going on, I have that assurance. And what is that called? It's called hope. Because I've trusted in Christ for today, because I've exercised faith, I am also able to trust in God for my future to have that great hope that burns inside of the believer. But on the other end, 
there is the unbeliever. And there is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that shows me the reality of these things. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that makes you uncomfortable here. If these things are not true, why would anybody be uncomfortable in church? You get to sit in padded seatings. I'm the one who's got to stand. You can sit there and you can relax. Most of you are going to enjoy pretty good dinner and maybe family later on, whatever it might be. What difference does it make what comes out of my mouth? Why would that make you uncomfortable? It's because the Holy Spirit is real. When Jesus died, he said he was going to send him, and he's going to convict the world of their sin. Everybody, whatever you believe in, whatever your moral basis are, you know that you're a sinner. And if you can even take God out of the equation, you know you've sinned against yourself because the things you don't want to do, you do. And the things that you do want to do, you don't always find yourself doing, and you've fallen into that quagmire. And so the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit convicts you of those things. But it, it, it doesn't just stop there. He convicts of sin, but he also convicts you of the reality of God and that nobody can effectively be an atheist. Any atheist I have ever met, they were usually agnostic, kind of you know, really believing that God's out there, but he's unable to do anything in their lives, or they believe that they were God. But there is that knowledge and there is that reality. The Bible tells us that there is no real atheist because the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, but also that there's going to be the day of judgment. That I mean, look at the dynamics of any legal system, of any society. If you break the law, you'll get punished. Well, that's from God. God is just. And so there's the knowledge of sin, but there's also a God And there's also going to be that day that I will be held accountable. Now, I don't care if anybody goes out of here and let's just say you're a thief and you stop stealing. Or you're a murderer. Well, I do care about that. That would be good that you didn't murder anymore. But really what I want you to focus upon, it's not about stopping and doing the individual sins. The reason that you've got this conviction is because you have no relationship with Jesus Christ. You have not submitted yourself to the Savior of the world. Until you do that, you will not have a moment, I guarantee you, you will not have a moment of peace in this life. And even on the day of your death, as you are lying on that deathbed, you're going to have the most miserable time. My father, he was a perfect picture of that. He was lying on his deathbed. He had the death rolls where you keep flopping around. And we can tell that it was, you know, this was going to be the day of his death. And I had the opportunity to share Christ one more time with him. And he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And I saw a man who died in peace after that. Ugly picture. Death is always ugly. But I saw a man who was able from that point on to die in peace. And so if everybody here, everybody in this room at some point is going to die, don't you want to take care of that day? Don't you want to have the calmness of heart to know that that day is in the hands of of God. And fourthly, if you're sitting with Christ and you're having a conversation, well, one of the things he said in the light of the cross and the resurrection is in John chapter 20, verses 20, or verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, this would be doubting Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Well, it's interesting the means by which Thomas came to believe. 
because as Christ had told him to do that, he, what is Christ doing when he's doing that? He's obviously displaying the wounds, the wounds of the cross. Now, you don't have that opportunity. Nobody has that opportunity to be able to put their hands into the wounds of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're not told that Thomas did that. We're just, shown, we're just told that he was shown those wounds. And then he had that response, my Lord and my God. Why would he respond that way? Because he saw the love that Christ had for him. Jesus said in John chapter 12, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. What does that mean? Lifted up. Lifted up means to be set upon the cross and displayed to all the world. To draw all men unto myself? Well, I've heard that explained a couple of different ways. I've heard one person say that, well, it's kind of like you draw water out of a well. Those who Jesus wants to save, he saves. They don't really have a choice. And just as surely as that bucket doesn't have a choice, you don't have a choice. But that's not what the verbiage lends itself towards. If you look in the Greek language, there's a wooing here. There's an attraction here. Well, what's the attraction? Why would I want to go see somebody who's been tortured upon the cross? Well, really what it is, is what we're seeing is God's logo of love. The love that Christ has displayed to all humanity and invites humanity to come and to see. And that's what Christ was doing with Thomas. Thomas had doubts. Thomas had concerns. He wasn't just believing what the word as it has been spoken to by the fellow apostles. He says, I've got to see, I've got to touch. So what did Christ do? Christ met him at his place of his unbelief. If you're an unbeliever here, why are you an unbeliever? Why? And I don't even want to know who you are, but I just want to ask that question. Why are you an unbeliever? Find out why you're an unbeliever. Recognize why you're an unbeliever and challenge God at that point. I guarantee you, if you challenge God at the point of your unbelief, just as surely as Thomas did, he's going to reveal himself to you. Is he going to appear and show the wounds? No, that'll happen through the word of God, but it will be just as undeniable. It'll be just as real in your life. If you really want to know the truth. Now, the Bible tells us that men, apart from Christ, like darkness rather than light. So it's the reason why most people won't take up that challenge. But I guarantee you, if you're an unbeliever here today, and if you really want to know the truth, then you challenge Christ at the point of your unbelief, and I guarantee you, he will meet the challenge. Fifthly, in John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus said to him, said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. This is Christ just telling this man that there are going to be many. There are going to be many who are going to take part of that ministry of the apostles. The apostles were there. They spent Christ spent time with Christ. They, they weren't there. Only John was there to see Christ upon the cross. The others had fled, but nonetheless, they saw the resurrected Lord. And that's the great turning point. They saw Jesus Christ and the reality of who he is because before they were cowards and they could never get it right. After that, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and these people were bold for Jesus Christ. They were bold. They were bold throughout the ages because if you're a born-again believer here today, think about it. Your salvation can be worked all the way back to an apostle who opened his mouth and spoke. And that's the fulfillment of what Christ just said here. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Blessed are those who have heard the words that you're going to speak, 
and will come into that right relationship with God. And all eternity will be open to him. And again, it's not going somewhere off to paradise. It's going off into the presence of God, which in fact is paradise, but it's, it's that which is going to be so fulfilling. It's that which is going to lend the truthfulness of faith. And it's that which changed the course of history. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In sixthly, in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, Jesus commanded Peter for that purpose that I just described of faith to faith to feed my sheep. For those who are born again, we see the responsibility that we have. And again, this is a little bit different from going, but this is all about the learning. It's about the learning and the preparing, what we call in Christianity, we call it discipleship. That, you know, I I did okay in school. I went to college, wasn't really into the book thing. I really wasn't into reading, and, you know, I was always dreaming of being out in construction. I can be out there. I can be doing stuff with my hands, and God's good that way. He'll give you the desires of your heart a lot of times, but he'll bring it to the place of, well, there's just an emptiness, and there was an emptiness for me. I just knew I wasn't fulfilling what it was that God had for me in my life. I got saved about halfway through my electrical career, and then I see what God's done in my life. He's brought me to the point that I do book reports four times a week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, for the men's study, and for the midweek. It's what I spend my time doing. And, and you know, you guys, you don't know me that well. This is almost comical if it wasn't of the Lord. I mean, really? I mean, my mother, she knows how horrible that I was at spelling and grammar and all of that stuff. And she asked me the other day, or this was actually a couple of months ago, I told her about writing a devotion every day. And she goes, you write something like that? And I go, yeah. She goes, what do you do with it? And I think she's kind of hoping that her friends don't see it. Uh, I I put it on the internet. Really? And people read it? Yeah. And people even sometimes like it. And it's just an amazing thing to her. But really, that's all about what God has done. You know, God's got a sense of humor. Go look in the mirror. And it's a good thing that he does. And so he's telling Peter, this fisherman, to feed sheep. That doesn't make any sense. Peter, I don't even know what a sheep looks like other than, you know, it's just kind of fluffy and bad. But he changed Peter's life. He's no longer a fisherman. He's now a fisher of men. And they're not animals that he is to feed. It's the future generations that he is to feed. And Peter did quite an effective job in that we have the epistles of Peter. And more than likely, Mark's gospel is spoken by the mouth of the apostle Peter. And not only him, but it was the rest of them as well. And we have that opportunity too. And what you're commanded to do as a born-again believer, and I, I, I challenge you if you're a Christian here today, find somebody who knows less than you and feed them. Feed them the word of God. Take them under your wing and disciple them. Christ did that. That's why he was so personal. He, he desires to be personal today. It's a little bit impersonal to stand up here, me, and talk to a group of people. But as you take this message and make it personal in your life and then make it personal in the lives of others, now we have a feeling of family. Now we have a true Christian community that is effective in the hands of the Lord. These things are important because Christ chose to speak them during that 40-day period. These things were essentials to the Christian community. And then lastly, and this is key, John chapter 21, well, they're all key, but you know what I mean. Jesus says, you follow me. You follow me. You live your life in my word. 
You live your life according to my commandments. You live your life, Jesus is saying, as I have lived my life. The standard that Christ has set, you follow me. And it's then that you are going to have contentment in your Christian life and a good reward in the life to come. Peter did that. He followed Jesus in obedience. He followed him in his manner of life and under the direction of the Lord. Because of this, we know that we will be able to follow him through into eternal life. To be absent from the body is truly to be present with the Lord. So if you had an opportunity to sit down with the Lord Jesus Christ, would it be a pleasant conversation? Would it be a pleasant one? I'd just love to sit down with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the just shall live by faith, and it's just not going to happen. I mean, apart from the word of God. But I mean, just think if you would be able to do that and just think of all the questions that you could ask him. Where did they bury Jimmy Hoffa? <laughs> I always wondered that. And, and the last Super Bowl, oh, never mind. But, you know, you could just sit down and you can ask him all those questions. For those who believe, it would just be an amazing conversation. For those who don't believe, although the majority of people said they'd like to sit down with Christ, apart from belief, now I wish they would be able to, because I can't imagine leaving that meeting not being saved, but it would be the most convicting conversation you've ever had. I want you to consider this. If you've been convicted today, if there's that feeling in your stomach, here we go again. Or that feeling, because as I said, our church doubled today. We, we have twice as many people that came to church today. And if you're just one of those who visits on Easter time, I guarantee you, you're not getting any merits in heaven for it. It's all about commitment to Christ to the same level that he's committed to you. Now, he's not asking you to die upon a cross, but he's asking you to take up your cross. He's asking you to, to, to nail your preconceived notions to that cross. He's telling you to crucify your own ideas and your own desires for that which is the truth that he has laid out before you. In John chapter 1, and I'll close with this, verses 12 through 13, but as many as received him. Now, what does that mean? How do you receive Christ? There's only one way. There's only one avenue, and that is to believe with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. As many as received him, to them, to those who received him, he gave the right, this is a God-given right, to become children of God. We're not all children of God. We're all creation of God, but only the believer is a child of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, if your parents were Christians, it does not mean that you're a Christian. There has to be that day that you were born again. Nor of the will of the flesh. Maybe mom wants you to be a Christian. Maybe she's been praying for you to be a Christian, but you're not going to become a Christian unless you're born again. Nor of the will of man. You can't work your way in. But it simply says, but of God. And so it's the question that you need to ask. Do you believe? And if you consider yourself to be a born-again believer, you still have to consider this. You still have to consider, am, am I walking as Christ walked? Am I going as Christ said to go? Do I have peace as Christ said to have peace? Have, have these things that, that we've been discussing this morning, are they realities in your life? If you call yourself a Christian and these things are not realities in your life, you should question that. If I'm truly a born-again believer, you cannot take this for granted because... Gene woke up today, he got out of bed. Gene woke up today, got out of bed, and did all things to get prepared, came to church, was fixing bagels this morning, and then all of a sudden that hit him. And it, his life could have been taken from him today. 
You don't, you're, tomorrow's not promised to you. Or the next day or the day after that. Are you right with Christ? Now, nowhere in the Bible does it say to become a Christian. And I'm not asking you to become a Christian. You may even think that's kind of a funny statement to come from a pastor. I'm asking you to be born again. I'm asking you to look at your life and to examine how it's been up to this point. And I'm asking you to see, because of a decision that you made for Christ, that there was a change that was undeniable on that day. And because that change, I I, I challenge you to examine the future days and see the change in your life. God does these things. He'll meet you at the point of your unbelief, and that's what I want you to ask the Lord to do, even right now. I'm not saying that this is a decision that you have to make now. I'm strongly encouraging you to, but I don't want anybody to buy fire insurance here, just insurance to keep you out of hell. Because Christianity is not about not going to hell, it's going to Christ. And so, consider the things that were said. Consider the reality. Consider how these things have been so for the past 2,000 years. And the only thing that can endure for that long is truths, and how much more so? The truths of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we just thank you, Lord, for this time that you have given us and through this visitation, Father, of this time period. And I just pray, Father, for those who are here, Lord, I I pray that they would open their ears and open their heart to your soft, still voice. And Father, we're going to take some time here in just a moment that you would speak to those who are here. Maybe the person who considers himself to be a Christian, but in your sight is yet to be born again. That, Father, we would see that come to pass. Maybe there's the skeptic. Maybe there's just simply the unbeliever here today. That they would ask you to speak to their hearts. And, Father, I pray that you would take this time to speak to their hearts. Speak to the inner person. I pray for the born-again believer that, Lord, as we truly are, that we would speak to you. That we would lift those in this room up in prayer. So what I want to do is our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed. I want to just take just a moment, just a minute of your time, just to seek God out. I I just ask that you would pray and that you would show God the reality of your life. Let's just take just that minute. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed, just silence in this room, that you would ask God to speak to you. Father, I lift up every person in this room and I pray, Father, that you would not allow us to leave here apart from you. And I pray, Father, for those who truly considered themselves, Lord, that if you spoke to them, that they would respond through belief. Lord, it's not the raising of a hand or a walking down the aisle or the speaking of a prayer that saves us. It's that personal time between person and their Savior. And I just pray, God, that you would do a work inside of each and every one of us that is undeniably you. And, Father, as you do, I pray that we would see changed lives. And so, Father, as the work that you have done inside of us will be expressed outside of us, we just take this moment for the benefit of the body of Christ, 
that if God has spoken to you, if God has spoken to you and told you that you need to receive him through belief, we're going to give you just an opportunity in just a minute to express that outwardly. That's what Christianity is, is all about. It's God meeting us in a personal way, but going public with it. And so as eyes are closed and heads are bowed, and all I'm going to do is just acknowledge that God did something in your life, that God spoke to you. And if he truly has, if you, it, it can be salvation. It, it could be you coming back into the body of Christ, maybe realizing you were never really there, but making that determination that in these last days that you want to be all in. If God has spoken to you in that manner, raise your hand and just allow me to acknowledge it. And we're just going to pray for you. Is there anybody here? I see your hands to my right. Is there anybody else? Lift your hand up. God, Christ was bold for you. I see your hand to my left. Christ was bold for you in going to that cross. If I be lifted up, and he's talking about for all humanity to see, I'm just asking you to raise a hand in a room full of people with their eyes closed. But make no mistake about it. This needs to be genuine. I see your hand off to my right. Is there anybody else here? If you're in the overflow area, I can't acknowledge it. I can't see, but God can see, and he acknowledges is there anybody else? Don't allow this minute to get past you. Again, you don't know if today is going to be the day that your life is required of you. I see your hand to my right. Is there anybody else? It should be a hard thing to do because a commitment is demanded. Anybody else? Anybody? Again, don't allow this moment to get past. You can put your hands down. Father, I acknowledge these hands that have gone up, but Lord, they have gone up before you and they have gone up to you. And, and Lord, this is all about you. And, and Lord, what you have done with inside these people's hearts and Father, the change that you desire to bring about. And Lord, I pray that there would be a rejoicing of the death of that old person, but also, Lord, the new birth of a new Christian. And so, Father, we just lift up these people to you and just pray God that you would go before them in their lives that you would give them the assurance of salvation and your presence in that peace that they're able to have through that right relationship and so father we just rejoice in and all Lord that you have done this this day I pray father for the people who worked in the play and pray that you would bless them the worship team the people out in the parking lot and everybody else in between all of these things work together for the blessings of a day of the salvation of somebody's life. And we just rejoice in that. And we just give, Lord, you all the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?